It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Monday, May 31st, 2021. On this day in 2005, former FBI Assistant Director W. Mark Felt admitted he leaked classified information about the Watergate scandal to the press. The announcement ended the 33-year mystery behind the identity of the infamous informant codenamed Deep Throat. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the day news broke that Mark Felt was the controversial informant known as Deep Throat. Let's go back to Santa Rosa, California on May 31, 2005. At 91 years old, Mark Felt's memory was almost completely gone. He had no memories of his role in one of the greatest criminal takedowns in American history, while conspiracists, investigators, and Hollywood filmmakers were desperate to discover his identity, he no longer remembered who he was. Seeing that Felt's health was declining, his attorney, John O'Connor, broke the news to the world via an article in Vanity Fair. Mark Felt had been the top-secret informant who toppled a U.S. president. He was the man known as Deep Throat. The journey to becoming a whistleblower started in 1969, when Felt was 56 and an assistant director of the FBI. In a waiting room deep in the bowels of the White House, he met a handsome Navy lieutenant, 26-year-old Bob Woodward. Woodward was naturally inquisitive, something that would pay off in his next career, and started probing the FBI chief for anything of interest. Felt was patient and, like many agents, reluctant to give up information easily. But the two got along. They exchanged numbers and parted ways. Neither suspected where their new friendship would take them just a few years later. Meanwhile, the FBI and White House were at war with each other. The newly inaugurated 37th president, Richard Nixon, treated the FBI like his personal goon squad. He ordered illegal wiretaps around the White House, mandatory polygraphs for staffers, and demanded the FBI forensics lab fudge evidence. Felt himself rejected most of these dirty jobs. His superior, FBI founder and director J. Edgar Hoover, backed him up. As a result, the White House quickly grew openly hostile to the Bureau. Just when relations couldn't get any worse, two disasters struck. On May 2, 1972, Hoover died in his sleep, leaving Felt unprotected. A month later, on June 17th, Five men were arrested while breaking into the DNC headquarters at the Watergate Hotel. 
The five burglars were members of Nixon's committee to re-elect the president, commonly known as Creep. Employing dirty tactics in his run for re-election, Nixon never directly ordered the break-in, but he did pay hush money to the burglars after their arrest. Felt investigated the crime, but grew exhausted from slamming into roadblocks set up by Nixon's team. The White House was involved in a cover-up, and at first, they were getting away with it. For Felt, the FBI's soul was at stake. No one, not even the U.S. president, was above the law. To get this train back on its tracks, Felt broke his own moral code. He dialed the phone number to his friend, Bob Woodward. Bob was still only 29 in 1972. He'd given up his Navy job and took up reporting for the Washington Post. Nine months into his tenure, he was assigned the Watergate scandal along with his colleague, 28-year-old Carl Bernstein. Days after the break-in on June 17th, Woodward called Felt for information. The 59-year-old kept mum at first, and even Woodward was shocked when he changed his mind. Felt told his friend that he wanted to talk about the FBI's investigation into Watergate. But he was all too aware of Nixon's love for illegal wiretaps. Felt established rules for their meetings, using tactics from his espionage days in World War II. If Woodward wanted to talk, he moved a flower pot with a red flag to the rear of his balcony. If Felt needed to meet, he circled page 20 on Woodward's copy of the New York Times and drew little clock hands for the meeting time. Bob could never figure out how Felt managed this. One night, Woodward exited out the back of his apartment building, took two separate cab rides, then walked into an underground parking garage. He met his secret source with executive branch clearance, usually around 2 a.m. But in this wide-open public space with plenty of exits, Felt had more conditions. First, he would only confirm and not provide information from Woodward's investigation. Second, he was to be considered a deep background source, meaning Woodward would take his identity to the grave. Woodward gave Felt a nickname in his notes, calling him My Friend, which alludes to his initials, M.F. But the Post's managing editor, Howard Simons, rebranded the source after a pornographic film starring Linda Lovelace. From then on, Felt's codename was Deep Throat. Up next, Deep Throat brings the Nixon administration down. The worst serial killer, the creepiest cult, the most outrageous con? If you're a true crime fan, you've probably pondered these things. Well, now you can get answers, or at least some passionate opinions. Every week on our podcast, Crime Countdown, my co-host Ash and I rank 10 unsettling crimes centered around a common theme, debating each case with just a hint of humor to lighten the mood. Elena and I may not be experts, and we may not always agree, but we're counting down anyway. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Crime Countdown. Listen free on Spotify. Now back to the story. On May 31st, 2005, Mark Felt was confirmed to be the anonymous informant called Deep Throat. 
While working as an assistant director of the FBI, Felt leaked intelligence to his friend at the Washington Post, Bob Woodward. When Woodward broke Felt's deep background rules to read an early draft of the expose over the phone, Felt told Woodward he was going too soft. If he was breaking his loyalty to the FBI, Felt wanted to make sure they nailed Nixon's corruption once and for all. Woodward and Bernstein published their first Watergate article on October 10, 1972. They revealed that the break-in was not an isolated event by small-time Nixon supporters, but a vast push to sabotage the Democratic candidate. Everything was orchestrated by Nixon and his aides. But the reporters faced an uphill battle as Nixon won his re-election in a landslide victory that November. Meanwhile, on October 19th, Nixon's chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, told the president that they suspected Felt was deep throat. Although Nixon was unsure about the rumor, he had his cabinet push the FBI interim director, Patrick Gray, to fire Felt. But Gray stuck up for Felt and was pushed out himself in February 1973. With Nixon hankering to axe the entire FBI, Felt needed some extra protection, so he devised a clever plan. The same month Gray was outed, Felt denounced the Post's articles. He opened an investigation to hunt down the leak inside the FBI. Needing someone to lead the investigation, Felt appointed himself. While the FBI and White House were in a panic, Woodward and Bernstein's investigative reporting started to turn the public against Nixon. On July 27, 1974, the House Judiciary Committee voted to impeach Nixon on several grounds, including abuse of power. On August 9th, Richard Nixon became the first and only president to resign his post. Felt, however, never got to celebrate this victory over corruption. He was pressured into retiring on June 22, 1973. A grand jury indicted him in 1978 for conspiracy to violate the civil rights of American citizens. Despite bureau agents demonstrating outside the courthouse in support of Felt, he was found guilty in 1980. Though the newly elected Ronald Reagan pardoned Felt in 1981, the damage was done. His wife of almost 50 years, Audrey, succumbed to the stressful and humiliating eight-year legal battle. In July of 1984, she died by suicide. Long after the dust settled from Watergate, the mystery of Deep Throat persisted. Much of the fame came from the 1976 Hollywood adaptation of Woodward and Bernstein's account, All the President's Men. As Deep Throat's legend grew, conspirators guessed at the person behind the codename. Some of the most famous suspects were President George H.W. Bush, Pat Buchanan, and Diane Sawyer. But according to Woodward, only seven people knew Deep Throat's identity, including himself, Bernstein, and Felt. But the investigator to break the mystery was family. After losing his wife, Felt reconnected with his daughter, Joan. In 1990, the two moved to Santa Rosa. 
Felt became a Little League grandpa and a carpool driver. While Joan taught Spanish at Santa Rosa Junior College, he told his grandson's stories from the FBI. Over the next 10 years, Felt suffered two strokes. He was still lucid and brimming with good humor, but his memories were fading. He could no longer even remember why Nixon resigned. By then, Joan had pieced together that her father was deep throat. She pushed for him to acknowledge his role, but he refused, believing his betrayal of FBI intelligence was shameful. For him, becoming deep throat was a personal sacrifice. Ultimately, Joan won the argument. Felt agreed, and with the help of his attorney, John O'Connor, cooperated to make an announcement. With his legacy secured, Felt spent the rest of his life sitting warmly under an oil painting of his late wife. On December 18, 2008, he passed away peacefully at the age of 95. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskin, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 